What is up? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's Friday, and you know what that means. It's another conversation with a content marketer that matters to you. Yes, that's what we're doing at The Juice. We're bringing content conversations to you. As a matter of fact, we're curating them. That's where the 3C comes in. I'm pumped to be joined by Sarah Peon. She works at Alice. They're doing amazing stuff with content, amazing stuff reaching their customers, amazing stuff thinking about things a little bit differently. I started following Sarah when she was working at Drift. Enjoy her stuff on Twitter. I slid into the DMs, as they say, and I said, can you jump on the show? I'd love to talk to you about what you're doing, and here we are. If you like what we're doing, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, join the waitlist. Link is in the show notes, or you could visit www thejuicehq.com. We appreciate you being along for the ride and let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. Fired up for today's episode. I am speaking with Sarah from Alice. Sarah is someone who I've followed on Twitter for several years. She puts out good content, stuff that I, I smash the like button, stuff that resonates with me in the the B2B marketing space. And I've been following her for quite some time because she was once a member of the, the the Drift marketing team and now she's at Alice. So we're going to talk a lot about B2B content experiences, what she's doing at Alice. I think kind of like the, the big headline to me that stands out during our prep call was talking about Alice and not really having an inbound strategy, which is kind of exciting for me to talk about. So we're going to get to that. But without further ado, Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm lovely. I've gotten more vitamin D today than I probably have in the last three months. So I'm riding that high. <laughs> for as long as I can. You got you got to. We got to enjoy it because we living in the Midwest and Northeast, you never really know when it's going to come back. Maybe we start here. So I would love to hear about your experience at Drift. Drift, I think, you know, I've been a follower and a fan for quite some time, purchased Drift at several different companies, just expert content marketing have done, you know, kind of was on the top of the trend with audio, video, you know, grabbing people's attention, creating a narrative that people can rally around. So I'd love to hear just just to open it up about just kind of your experience at Drift and what you learned as a marketer or a content marketer. Yeah. The cool thing that I found, I thought it was cool, uh, at Drift was my role wasn't necessarily content creation. It was a lot of micro copy because my role was to build the bots for Drift, so run Drift for Drift. So that came with a lot of influencing content that was on pages, but then also writing best practice content, essentially, because I was the one who was who had the most free reign to test anything and everything with bots, uh, figure out what works and what doesn't, and then like educate our customers on that. And Drift had a really strong content strategy because it was created from former HubSpotters. So that is what they knew. And that was their MO. And it worked really well because it, it was a freemium model as well. So there's a free plan. You could easily sign up and then like product-led growth helps drive more upgrades. And so that inbound strategy was basically at the tippity tippity top of the funnel all the way down. So I'm pretty sure the drift team still like publishes one blog a day. They are super content heavy. And I, I joined the marketing team when Dave Gerhardt was leading. Um, he was really big on content, really big on 
uh, direct marketing and really big on influential copy. And so uh, just being in that sort of environment, I learned a lot about how to write like a person and not to use a lot of buzzwords, but not go so far into write like you talk because I am a, I like to talk a lot. And if I wrote like I spoke exactly, it would be a lot of stream of consciousness run on sentences that wouldn't really make a ton of sense. But those were like really big learnings from Drift is you can write about a concept all the way from the top down to the bottom of the funnel and have it be actionable at each step, uh, but also make it sound human and like you're talking to other people while they're consuming your content. And I think that's a big differentiator is because people still can't really grasp the right like you talk while still sounding like you know what you're talking about. That's love, like a, a tough balance. <laughs> yeah, it it totally is a tough balance. And I, I think just as, you know, I'm spinning up content over here and learning like what works and what doesn't. The one thing that I found is just try to be as real as possible and be honest and open. And I feel like just my observations and why I became such a big fan of Drift was that there was a lot of authenticity and a lot of honesty in the copy that I was reading all the way from like the blog to like listening to, you know, seeking wisdom, the podcast, and then even, you know, hitting the website, reading the copy of the bots that you were probably authoring. It was consistent throughout the entire experience, which I think in B2B marketing, it's few and far between. It's really difficult to execute on that. How was that all kind of orchestrated and put together there? So it, so from like first touch on the website, all the way through the entire experience, it, it felt like the, the, the brand voice felt consistent. I think we had a very specific framework in how we wrote. And it was also uh, expected that when you first joined the team, you had to learn the voice. And so we had a rather large content team. And as we started to build on that team, there was that learning period of understanding and recognizing the quote unquote drift voice. That was kind of a little bit of DG sprinkled in there, Dave Gerhardt, um, but also just like your own personal voice is really important to include in that as well. And it starts in onboarding. Like I was a part of the onboarding process to tell people about how we talked. Uh, I ran social at Drift for a short period of time as well. And so we talked about when you're, you as a non-marketer are writing on behalf of the company, like use your words. If you like to use a lot of slang words that are not inappropriate in, in your posts, like feel free to do that. So when we would introduce hyper growth speakers, there would be some posts that were like, yo, we're so excited for na na na. And there would be some that weren't <laughs> like that, but it added that layer of like, no, we're giving you permission to talk like you would talk to a friend who just works at a different company and just have that like professionalism, but also authenticity because we can't force you to have a personality, but we can augment your personality by having that be our voice. I yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I love that. And I think, you know, this is like a driftism that I definitely heard, uh, you know, through my time and following the company is, you know, people want to buy from people. They, they don't want to buy from companies. Companies have products that are commodities, that whole thing. I think that's so relevant and maybe people understand that and that's real and drift might've just maybe been a little ahead of the curb in terms of talking about it, but in term in B2B marketing right now, that seems uh, more relevant than ever that 
companies that are winning are companies that have their employees that are passionate on social media that are not that not are not necessarily like waving the the flags for each of their companies but they're representing their, their companies in a way that are attracting potential customers and people are following those people and then following their brands what are your thoughts on that I think so. Yes. I think there are a lot of things that work at Drift that seem easy in practice, but there also aren't a lot of normal people who are comfortable putting themselves out there like that. I think there were Drift was really good at hiring for a specific kind of person as they were in that hyper growth phase where we were willing to be loud. We were willing to be advocates. We were willing to speak in our own voice. We had we literally took personality tests, like the predictive index, and we had engineers with the same personality type as sales reps. Like that was the company. And as it grew, that culture shifted a little bit to be a little bit more diverse in terms of personality types, among other ways of building diversity. But I think for that period of time where we were really trying to own our voice, our space, our tone, and our category, there was a specific kind of person that worked really well in that environment and we doubled down on it. I think it's easy to talk about in theory and it's very, very hard to actually execute because there's either a, like a behavior and mindset shift that you would have to instill in an entire team or be really specific about who you hire for and start from scratch, essentially. And they made the concerted decision to build that team, but it's not sustainable also because there are only so many people who are like that. Uh, yeah, that makes so much sense. And it starts with the recruitment. It starts in the interview process. Uh, that, that all adds up to me. Let's, let's, let's move over to Alice in your transition to Alice. I think first, I'd love to know for anyone who doesn't know, talk to me about what Alice does, who the customers are that you serve. And then maybe we can jump into like, what is something that you took from Drift that you are that you implemented at Alice that you're working with every day? A career experience that carried forward. Yeah. So Alice is the first recipient first sending platform. So as awesome as your marketing campaigns are, as awesome as your sales strategies are, you're still only thinking about yourself even when you're gifting, which is supposed to be about creating a relationship with someone on the other side. So we have created our product to be about your customer, not you, um, which is a little bit different because a lot of other sending platforms are kind of optimized to be like super easy to send, like execute everything you want to execute on, which is awesome. But your ideas don't put money, like don't, you don't buy your product, your customers do. And so if you're not putting them at this front and center of your processes, then you're not going to make any money or you're not going to make as much money because otherwise where is the money going to come from? And so that was kind of a cool part of Alice that really drew me to them was it felt like they had recognized a shift in a very well-known channel that people hadn't thought of before because it didn't feel like you could automate it, which we were in the like automation era. Everyone wants to do more instead of do better. And so, yeah, moved over to Alice. And what I brought with me, I think, was that specific tone of voice and conversational and personal copy and content. Alice had a really strong brand voice internally, but no one was 
saying it out loud outside of the organization. And so when I started, I was kind of trained on the the tone, which was informative and helpful, but a little bit sassy. And I was like, I can, I can run with that. Love that. And so uh, being the brand content manager, I not only owned our content, but also our distribution channels of our content. And one of those is obviously social media. And so we started consistently posting on social media. We didn't just promote our own things, but we started to have a voice and a presence and leverage that a little bit sassy tone to kind of uh, break through and talk about the actual hard-hitting issues that we wanted to talk about, which is like, your marketing isn't about you. Like we, we care about you a lot as customers, as potential prospects, but we care about your customers more because that's how you're going to succeed, which means that's how we're going to succeed. And so we instill that in our copy. We instill that in the content that we write whether that's a blog a day, it's definitely not. But the the concerted copy and concerted content that we write, we have that instilled in, in the messaging. And I think Drift taught me how to have that strong brand voice and how to talk like a person, even if the brand isn't mirror image the exact same from place to place. I love the breakdown. And it is so important for anyone who works at a company who is in this position to think about it. Marketing for your customer's customer is always going to be a winning formula. Uh, and I love that. And it reminds me so much of back in the day, I'm dating myself. It's so long ago. I actually talked about it in a blog post earlier today about just being a part of exact target and being bought by Salesforce and thinking about it like nostalgia goggles reflected back on the experience. And there we, there was the thought leadership and content team at the time was creating this series called subscribers, fans, and followers. And that was what you just described was the whole premise. It was, all right, well, how can we get the, you know, VP of e-commerce at J crew to how to, to market better to their, the end consumer and create content that's going to help them do that. And it was wildly successful. So I haven't even thought about that uh, until today. And it's like, now I'm hit with it from a double dose of thinking, <laughs> reflecting and you just describing it, but it's, it's hard, but it makes a lot of sense to me. Maybe talk about like the steps, like tactical things that uh, your team is doing to execute on that. To help our customers, customers. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a lot of the content that we create is a little bit around the mindset and behavior shift of being recipient first. Mm. And so we have like internal content bundles literally that are like the, the adoption toolkit. That's all about like shifting your mindset when you're actually doing it. And then the, like the buyer mindset shift of like, if the high level people still don't get it, like, here's how we can kind of explain it to them. So from like a, an executive buyer like sort of standpoint, the content that we have is our our product is also, it has been, and it will always be digital first. So we don't send a physical good before we invite you to accept a gift. So when we were in the office, we had both physical and digital invitations uh, that came in a little nice little box. You had a little card, you inputted a code, and you could see the gift that someone wanted to send you because chances are you can't choose the perfect gift for someone. Even my mom doesn't always get me the perfect gift. And so that sort of digital experience, you can then choose to accept, exchange, or donate the dollar value of the gift. And so that means that even if you want to have a thematic gift for your beautiful marketing campaign, 
sometimes your prospects don't want that telescope because you're going to have a dinner in the MoMA telescope room. Sometimes your prospects don't want that pinata that's just going to end up in the trash, even though it fits so nicely in with your, your campaign. Sometimes your prospects don't want the kitschy can of spam because you're not going to spam them, you know, uh, but they, but you're trying to create a relationship with them. And so giving them the power to choose what they want, or if they can't accept it, exchange the, do- like the dollar value. That's a mindset shift that we have to have marketers understand is like, I'm sure your campaigns are amazing. Like I, I want to hear about them actually to get ideas, but that doesn't mean that what you send is going to be the thing that gets people to actually convert. You might get their attention, but you don't drive any action. Since that whole process is also digital, we can track way more parts of the process. And so we have like, here are the metrics that you wouldn't be able to get if you weren't doing this. Um, So we have both the like emotional part, but also like the tactical metrics driven reasoning behind why you would want to do that. On the executor side, it's more so like we created a gift acceptance experience that feels like an e-commerce experience and not like you're filling out a Google form to get a gift kind of experience. And so that on the recipient side is something that they actually don't need to do. We do it for them because a lot of our users are sales reps. We don't want to add more to their day. And so we that was like a big sort of project was to update the recipient experience, especially because we're all like buying everything online now. When you are claiming a gift, you want it to feel like you're buying something from a store, but it's for free because you don't have to spend any money, which is like the best kind of buying things. We also had to help our users understand like gifting isn't a one and done thing. You have to follow up. You have to follow up on different kinds of channels. Here are like outreach cadence sequences. Here are like follow-up templates, things like that. So depending on who we're talking to, we take a different kind of approach, but the whole kind of overarching theme is like, we we want you to have better results. And the way that you you can do that is by putting yourself in the other, like the person on the receiving end of your outreach's shoes. What do they care about? Where should you meet them? How should you address them? What are they interested in outside of work? We are now living where we work and working where we live. So you're not just talking to Brett, the VP of marketing, but you're also talking to Brett, the VP of marketing and the dad and the person who went for a run this morning in the rain. And that all like affects the the way that you want to talk to them and the way that you want to start to create a relationship with them, which is essentially what sales is, is like a partnership and a relationship in like a business way. So if I am, if I sat down on a Zoom meeting and I had like entered the funnel of Alice and I was delivered that like presentation, I, obviously some discovery, but I was delivered that I'd be like hook, line and sinker. Like, give me more. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this. This is, this is up my alley. But in order to get to that point, right, there's some awareness building that needs to take place, like identification that, you know, this is who we are from a brand perspective. Here's the types of content. Oh, we're educating our audience. And I led with it. Maybe a good time to talk about it. You talked about no real no real inbound strategy. I would love to know, talk to me about how people get to that point in the conversation that you just delivered. How are they finding out about Alice and what types of things are you doing to get their attention? Yeah. So generally 
direct mail isn't like a new concept. So like at Drift, we had to teach people that it wasn't live chat, it was conversational marketing. And so that came with a lot of top of funnel, higher higher level content to, to introduce the concepts of why conversational marketing is different from live chat. We're still a gifting platform. Like that hasn't changed. That is still something that people know and have been doing. So when you search for like B2B gifting platforms, like we're still ranking and coming up. It's when you start to talk to our team where we introduce that concept of sales and marketing people are blowing through prospects. Everyone's inbox looks like my worst nightmare. Like, people are even going to the point where the gifting that they're doing is super spammy. And so you have to figure out a way to stand out. And the way that you do that is by pausing, taking yourself out of the equation and instead putting your recipient back into the equation and kind of just like reminding people about that, like relationship economy in the eighties. And you would go and sit in someone's living room and see the pictures of their family on the wall and see the family dog, which essentially we're doing right now. You and I are having conversations in our living rooms. And that's kind of like a cool global shift that people are like, aha, like I get it. I shouldn't be talking to my prospects like personas because when we talk person to person, you're sitting in your living room. I'm sitting in my living room. I can make a comment about the, I hope the weather is nice. The next time we talk, you can make a comment about like my beer poster in the background. Like we have more insight into each other as people. And I think this past year has helped shift that aha moment where our, our content can then take a more middle to bottom of funnel approach because people get why they should be sending direct mail because it's a good way to grab attention, but also drive action. But we also need a way to stop making direct mail spammy because it's gotten to that point at this point. And how do you do that? And how do you get more engagement from your marketing campaigns without increasing the number of people you're sending to? Because our lists are getting smaller and smaller because people are opting out quicker and quicker. And so that's where we start our kind of like content strategy is that versus here's why you need a direct mail strategy because people kind of know. The uh, flame emojis are flying. Like I, I, I love it. It makes so much sense. I love the, the, the shift. You know, the the pandemic changed a lot of things. I think the pandemic, to be honest with you, opens the door for a, a lot of opportunities for smart marketers to do some creative things that are more personalized. And a lot of what you just described. That's awesome. I'm curious. Like you, in our prep call, you talked about your head of marketing from HubSpot. So you've got this, you know, everybody knows who HubSpot is. Everyone's marketer, maybe not everyone, maybe I'm getting too aggressive, but a lot of people have been to inbound, been to the conference, hear the Darmesh, hear the Brian keynote, you know, talking about, you know, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to power your inbound strategy. Well, as a part of that strategy, right, there's like, you know, SEO, there's keywords, content. But I, I think just in, in talking with you, it sounds like maybe like some of these more traditional ways to do digital marketing, like keywords and put those into content and optimize for Google, this and that. You, you, Alice, Alice, you're not necessarily focused on. So I'm curious, like, how does like a marketing leader that is from a company that is like built that methodology, like come into Alice and say, you know what, we're, we're, we're not going to do all of that. Maybe we'll do some of that. Like what's that been like and how does that go? Refreshing, which is cool. But I think also just conceptually, when you write 
specifically just SEO optimized content without a reader in mind, you're writing for a machine versus a person because like as much as Google loves that post, it's not actionable and it's not helpful to someone even like with just like top level keywords and doesn't really make a ton of sense, but ranks at number one. Like that's not optimal, (laughs) not like the best experience. And so we've taken some of the concepts from HubSpot, obviously like hub and spoke models and how we decide the content themes that we do want to focus on, on a monthly and quarterly basis and how we divvy that up and what that looks like and how we distribute it and how, and what the tone is and why we chose that sort of content. And it looks like a little circle with a little, it looks like the, what's the HubSpot? Flywheel. Uh, it looks like, a fly, oh, no, what's their logo called? It's like a... <laughs> Hub and spoke? It looks like a sprocket. It literally sp- looks like the sprocket. <laughs> I'm just like big content theme in the middle and then small little offshoot. Yes, hub and spoke, but also like the sprocket of HubSpot. And so we've taken that concept for sure, but it's not necessary for each of those content offshoots to have a specific keyword. If anything, we want to optimize it for a phrase because that also makes it more helpful to people searching for that specific phrase. And so inherently it makes it a little bit less searchable and findable, but the people who do find it will find what they're looking for, which is super fun and what we want. We also would rather hear from our prospects and customers what they, what kind of content they want to hear from, what they want to read from us and then write it. Because that's the, I feel like that's the original keyword research is what do you want to know? Okay, great. Here you go. Uh, And so then we know with absolute certainty that the right people are going to be leveraging and consuming that content in the first place. Just ask them, what do you, what do you want? What What do you want? What do you need? (laughs) It's it's amazing. I think that comes down to the, the theory, like the premise of it's so fundamental and basic. And I hate that I keep saying it, but it's like, you know, you just got to like talk to your customers and like, get the feedback and then take action on it. It'll make your marketing better. Maybe we can close out the episode, Sarah, by talking about share, like what's something that, what's an opportunity out there with in B2B marketing that excites you, that you see maybe a trend that's, that's maybe a lot of companies are, are moving forward with and like excite you. And then what's something that you think needs to be put to bed that's going on in B2B marketing right now? I think- a thing that I'm super pumped about is community versus audience. Mm. Um, and that delineation, I saw uh, James Carberry, I think from Sweetfish Media, he had a cool, he had a really interesting like post on community versus audience and how it's not the same thing, but a lot of people think that they are the same thing. Uh, and talking to a room or a webinar full of 200 people is different from having five customers raise their hand to do a uh, roundtable discussion about the next product launch. One of those is an audience and one of those is is proof that you built a community. And I think this shift to community versus audience is going to be really cool to see. I think audience is still very much so important, but you want people who are so emotionally connected to your brand where they raise their hand as many times as they possibly can to help you and and you return the favor. That's the big part. You got to also like return the favor. And so I think there's going to be whole funnels dedicated to creating that community within a customer base. And it's not just going to be fully a demand gen funnel, but I think it's going to be based off of also just like engagement levels and kind of being subjective, but also having a little bit of objectivity and 
uh, I think that's going to be super cool. I think customers are going to come into play a lot more in marketing strategy and not just like, okay, great. They're customers. We did it. We'll like send them emails about product launches. And then other than that, like maybe we'll have a like customer advisory board and we did it. We customer marketed uh, versus like really bringing them into the whole process. So I think that's dope. So I I have so much energy around that topic and couldn't agree more. I'm excited that you brought that up because I just like, I think one, like people just get tired of hearing the same voices and you can disguise it any way you want. I can be like, all right, yeah, I'm Brett and I've got this podcast called 3C Podcast. And I'm bringing, I'm trying to just like educate and share my experiences, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, like, I want you to come to my website and check out the product. Like people like it doesn't sound like that, but it starts sounding like that. But like bringing in other people like we're doing here right now, it helps validate, legitimize, build connections. And it just makes a lot of sense. It's there's social proof marketing with your customers. Um, I think Sweetfish Media has done some great work around this topic. So I, I just have a lot of energy around that. And I think it's companies that are, are starting to separate are, are beginning to see the value in this. And I love what you said about, um, you know, reciprocate, right? Like, you know, you're doing this podcast right now. If, you know, Alice had a podcast and you're like, hey, like we're looking for someone to talk about starting marketing at a company that is just pre-launch. Like, would you talk about it? I'd be like, hell yeah, let's talk about it. And I wouldn't even think twice about it because like we're establishing a relationship here just in terms of we do the same thing professionally. We work in different Mm -hmm. companies. This is just networking. So I I think that's really powerful. And I just had to like emphasize that because not a lot of people are necessarily thinking like that, but I think people should start thinking like that. Yeah, I think they'll they'll get to it. I think also because we've been so digital, the like social media and community managers have kind of been pushed forward more into the light and they're they're like ready to go. If you log into Twitter for like a single second and type in marketing, like you'll find people who are just like ready to start changing the way that brands like communicate with their audience and their communities, which I think is rad. One part of marketing I'd love to see put to rest is the concept that like every company needs to run the exact same plays to be successful. Like there are, there are people who have run these plays and have seen success. There are communities, uh, whether they're free or paid with people who are kind of talking about the fact that if you want to be successful, all you have to do is X, Y, and Z. You should be a media, like every marketing team should be a media company. Every marketing team should be conversational when they, when they speak. Those pieces of advice work really well when you're marketing to marketers. But if I'm marketing to Mm. IT professionals or chief security officers, and I'm like, what's up? Like, you want to buy some software? They're going to be like, absolutely not, because you're not secure and you obviously have no idea what you're talking about. So I think it's really easy to like sit in a bubble when all you do is talk to marketers all day, especially when you market to marketers of like, you can do anything. Like you should be as, as B2C as possible. Like, yes, you're still selling to humans, but there's a tolerance level of kitschiness that your audience may not be able to handle. And so I think like figure out what works for you. There isn't like one gospel universal truth of how to be a good marketing team, a good selling team, a good anything team. And it's as much as you want to search for the silver bullet, it doesn't exist. And that's okay because we're not solving the world's problems anyway. So don't worry about it. 
so so, so many good takes. So this was awesome. Before I let you get out of here, I know it's a nice day in Boston. You got to get outside. <laughs> what's something? Pu- promote something at Alice. What's happening that people listening can go check out? Um, we have an original series called Office Hours. That's really cool. It's essentially what you wouldn't learn about marketing in the classroom. So we talk with marketing and sales leaders who essentially give us like the lowdown on what they were never taught, but instead what they learned by doing. Um, So we have this whole like school themed resources center called University. And this is a little offshoot original series from university. So it's the stuff you wouldn't learn in university. You can learn during office hours. Um, They're like 30 minute episodes. You can listen on 2x speed. It's like 15 minutes of your day. Um, And it's really fun. I really like it. You're the you're the second interview in a row that has brought up listening on 2x speed. Maybe I'm just old, but I just can't. I, I'll, I'll take the time. I can't I can't listen to the voice on on double speed. I know a lot of people are about that. That's just not my cup of tea. I started with like 1.5 and then that started to sound normal. And then you go to 1.75 okay. and now I can't like watch a video or listen to anything on 1x speed. I'm like, how do you speak so slowly? I have no time for this. But then you just consume so much more in the same amount of time, which is probably not great, but. <laughs> totally. Everybody turn it up to 2x speed on the 3C <laughs> podcast and tell me what you think. Sarah, this was fun, great conversation. Take it easy. Enjoy the day in Boston. Thanks for having me. Tons of really good stuff in that one. I'm pumped I could have Sarah on the show. I learned a ton. Hopefully you did too. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review if you think I'm doing a good job. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back next week. 